startuprad.io, your podcast and YouTube blog covering the German startup scene with news, interviews, and live events. Hey guys, hello and welcome everybody. This is Joe from StartupRate.io, your startup podcast and YouTube blog from Germany. Today I'm bringing you another interview in cooperation with Invest in Hessen. And this time I would like to welcome Luca. Not as his name suggests, he's not from Italy. He's born and raised here in Frankfurt, even though um, I do believe on your parents' side, uh, one side is from Czech Republic and the other side is from Italy. But since you're born and raised here in Frankfurt, I would like to welcome with the, you with Gude V. <laughs> Gude Jan, thanks for having me. Totally, my pleasure. Um, totally a pleasure to have you here. And you are the founder of a startup. Um, I would say you are more or less somewhere between um, fintech and uh Big data, data analytics. Um, the company is called Exalone, but what they do, we'll soon get to. First, as always, I've been looking at your LinkedIn profile, and everybody who's listening to this or watching this can go down here in the show notes and learn more about you or reach out to you directly. Um, I have seen you've spent quite some time abroad, international studying. Where have you been and what did you do? Well, yeah, uh, you're right. I've done my fair bit of traveling. So uh, I uh, spent some time in France, actually quite a lot of time. Uh, so in total, four and a half years of my life. Uh, so I started after graduating from high school. I did my bachelor's in the Rheingau uh, and, uh, in Wiesbaden, but did a double degree program um, in Lille in the north of France. And uh, then after working, uh, I decided to quit, go back and do my master's. And that I did uh, in sunny Nice in the south of France, in the Côte d'Azur. And uh, yeah, other stations included, uh, then professional stations while working uh, included also Zurich, um, Switzerland, and uh, a bit of time in London. Very, very nice. I know this is a tricky question, but what did you like more, the north or the south of France? That is a very good question because had I not traveled to both parts, I wouldn't have believed that it's basically two countries. Um, I would say because I enjoyed the beach quite a fair bit, I would say I'm a big fan of the south of France. Um, although I felt that the people in the north of France, uh, which the French see as basically being Belgium, um, you know, to be a bit more open and there was a bit of a more relaxed and down-to-earth style towards it, which I really uh, appreciated a lot. Ah, Belgium, my brain plus circuit, uh, beer, chocolate. Oh. <laughs> 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 Getting to the more serious part now again. Uh, I've seen you've been working with an investment bank, UBS, from Switzerland. Um, you've been a quantitative researcher. Uh client portfolio manager, and more. Can you take us a little bit through your professional positions and what you learned there? Yeah, sure. So by background from my studies, um, I studied finance. Uh, so I spent my uh, fair bit of time in financial markets, uh, as you rightly pointed out, at UBS and investment banking. Uh, that was not the transaction side, but really 
the capital market side. So in fixed income sales and trading, uh, I traded both cash bonds as well as derivatives. Um, so that was really a lot of fun. Uh, but after we, we may add for our audience with no, uh, banking background that basically investment banks, there are two parts, capital markets, we do all the trading more or less, sorry for oversimplifying it. And the other area is in investment banking divisions usually called that is where you buy and sell companies more or less. And you worked on the capital market side, meaning the trading. J just to clarify here, go ahead. Exactly. And the specifics were, in, uh, the focus was fixed income. So anything to do with interest rates and credit. So that was a lot of fun. And uh, then after some time, after a couple of years uh, spending at, as I like to say, the dark side of the force, uh, I chose to uh, do a reboot uh, and essentially transfer more uh, towards the buy side, meaning to the uh, investment management part, making investment decisions, creating portfolios, and uh, also add a uh, data analysis and quantitative component to the, to the entire process. And because I'm very passionate about two things, it's financial markets, but also, uh, you know, technical stuff. Uh, so data analysis and data science. And so I did that and uh, ended up uh, being a quantitative researcher. So doing a lot of statistical modeling and uh, coding and developing investment strategies. Um, and at, as a quant researcher at a startup uh, after my studies, also in the south of France, which was pretty awesome. And uh, yeah, then um, uh, after that, I ended up in Switzerland running systems and technology for uh, a hedge fund where we created quantitative overlay models in FX and fixed income markets. So always combining these two aspects, data analysis and, and financial markets, always in the context of credit and interest rates. And uh, it was at that time where I actually met one of my uh, co-founders um, and uh, we were experimenting with different investment strategies and we're also looking at uh, different markets where you could find yields and that would segments that would uh, allow you to capture some some interesting you know returns and that's actually how we started looking deeper into what was going on in lending and in credit and uh, that's so how the origins of Exalon emerged i will not even start to uh explain quantitative analytics for hedge funds but i'll link a hell lot of articles down here in the show notes guys no trouble uh you can read everything you want if you're done with reading in let's say three or five years we'll answer questions right <laughs> um, one question here is um you you uh met your co-founder there uh what was what was like the moment when when you decided okay let's jump ship from this hedge fund and do some real cool fintech startup stuff what was like the moment what was what was the inflection point yeah it wasn't exactly a planned move to be honest um it's not like i've always wanted to become a founder it never seriously crossed my mind until uh, how you say the stars aligned and you're all of a sudden um, all of a sudden facing the opportunity to actually do it and go ahead and found your own company so and at that time um, we were just you know playing around experimenting and, and looking into different lending segments uh, what's really cool is that we saw that with the entrance of technology 
um, traditional core financial segments like the lending space, like currencies, like trading, were starting to become disrupted and also more technologically driven. So what we were really keen um, and observe, keenly observing was the change uh, of basically lending shifting towards more digital channels. So, you know, borrowers supplying more online, nobody can be bothered to go to the bank subsidiary and fill out a lot of paperwork. Um, but, you know, you can do everything uh, in a digital fashion. And the interesting bit there is really when you're looking at the market, what's happening is that a lot of these fintech lenders, as we call them, or digital lending platforms, they are really opening up an asset class. They are opening up a market segment that is that was before predominantly dominated by, by banks and which was not really accessible for investors. And that was the moment when we realized this is actually an interesting, interesting segment because this is a really cool space to invest in. But at the same time, you're also providing kind of a real economic impact because um, a lot of the borrowers that apply for loans through these digital channels, they either tend to apply for loans as a function of convenience or um, they apply because they are underserved by their home bank. So they are looking for an alternative. And that's actually the interesting bit. Um, uh, and uh, yeah, when we were looking into, into the segment and then realized, yeah, this is a pretty cool space to actually be in. And when you're looking at it from a data-driven point of view, you can do a lot of analytics, you can compare prices, you can compare interest rates and really make data-driven funding decisions. So that's when we really felt like, you know, this is coming alive and you can actually create a really, really scalable business model out of it. Mm -hmm. And um, what we're talking right now is basically lending, meaning credit, um, for example, from online banks. And uh, basically, you never have to meet a person face-to-face, -face, but basically you get a credit and that is what you call digital lending, right? Yes, exactly. Exactly. So it's not necessarily only online banks, but it's really any platform that enables borrowers to apply for loans online. And so a lot of the segment is also dominated by intermediaries mm -hmm. um, that act as marketplaces. So all of these players for, that emerged as peer-to-peer -peer lenders or crowd lending companies, um, they are also very active in the space. And what's interesting is that they, they serve borrowers, right, by helping them to apply for loans. Mm -hmm. But what's really interesting is that they do not have access, they do not have a balance sheet themselves. So they do not have money, but they really source then investment demand or funding demand from investors. It can be private individuals or also institutional investors. So having access to a financing base is crucial for them. And that's what we saw as an opportunity for a business model because it's really hard for institutional investors to actually you know, make a sense out of this market. And so that's how we chose to position uh, as a software company, as a, as a B2B marketplace in between institutional investors and these fintech lenders um, because you really address the pain points of one another. Uh, so of both sides of the market and we basically help them find each other and uh, yeah, and create a match. 
Actually, I had to smile when I was going through your press releases because in November 2021, you announced the cooperation with Credit Shelf. And actually, I had Daniel, a co-founder and COO of Credit Shelf, in an interview. It was published back in October 2018. If you go down here in the show notes, I'm sure uh, I'm sure you will find the link and enjoy the interview. So basically, let us uh, make this very simple, break it down Barney style. So basically, I go to Credit Shelf. Um, they want to give me a loan, but they don't have the money themselves. So there's an institutional investor on the other side. He gives me through Credit Shelf the money. And what is the place you're coming in here? Yeah, so we help Credit Shelf get access to a wider range of institutional investors. And we also help them in the fundraising process. Um, so in the, in the matching process of finding institutional investors by providing them also all sorts of analytics. So for instance, like Lombok analytics, ESG analytics, and some, uh, some other aspects. So we really give lending platforms the tools to grow um, so that they can scale their business. Mm -hmm. That is a little bit abstract, but when we talked before, I had you in mind as I would simply describe the rating agency for what we now described as digital lending. Would this be appropriate? Exactly. It's a rating agency with technology. So we don't only provide the ratings and the transparency, but actually also an infrastructure that investors can use in order to connect to many different lending platforms and then also automate some of the financing processes. Oh, that means, let's say I have a lot of money on one account as an institutional investor, I can hook up your tool and basically it will give me the best offers for from something like a dozen platforms um, where people are trying to get the money. And what I would be interested in is Where are the platforms? Are we talking about Germany? Are we talking about GSA? Are we talking about European Union or all of Europe? And who's on the other side? Is it only small companies? Is it individuals or is it like the big corporates? That's a great question. So we are global. So the uh, most lending platforms or a lot of lending platforms are in Europe, but uh, we also have pretty good ties in Southeast Asia. So Indonesia, uh, Vietnam, Philippines are very exciting markets to be, Singapore as well. Um, and um, yeah, so we can cater or at the moment we're catering to both consumers, uh, so private individuals, as well as SMEs. Um, uh, SME is a way to draw the border to like really big corporates. Uh, what, what is the maximum revenue we're talking about here? It's probably less related to the revenue. It's more the loan sizes and the borrower segments that um, would be probably too cumbersome for even like, you know, local savings banks to, to serve. Mm -hmm. um, so in terms of loan sizes, we're talking about 200K to 5 million. And usually you have revenues of anything between, well, up to, up to 20, 30, 50 million per mm -hmm. annum. But that is really the bigger bracket. So usually it's it's a lot smaller companies. And then again, it also depends on the region. So uh, in Southeast Asia, uh, it's very fascinating. You even have like micro SMEs, mm -hmm. really mom and pop shops who want a very short term loan, maybe 30 to 60 days even. 
and um, you know uh, a loan size of maybe a hundred, two hundred dollars, and uh, they you know, apply for it and they wanted to to refinance. So that's pretty exciting. I totally understand that. When you talked about that, like the very little shops, I was wondering, do you see? Sorry, really, really, really going geeky here. Do you see any impact, for example, if there's a big typhoon going across the Philippines, going across Indonesia for like a lot of small loans by those mini SMEs you were talking about uh, that want to rebuild after damage from such a storm? It's not just disaster related or relief related because there is like public funds for that. But it's really organic growth and really fueling the backbone of the real economic backbone of a lot of these economies. So Southeast Asia is a fantastic space. You have across maybe four or five countries, uh, you have roughly 600 million people. Um, you have over 60 million SMEs or micro SMEs. And about two thirds of them don't even have access to a bank or are underserved by a bank. So they are just simply not given access to traditional credit. And all of this is moving to digital channels. So it's really about bringing credit to small shops in order to expand their businesses organically. And that's pretty fascinating. Is this also where you see your biggest growth opportunity for that? Yes, definitely. Definitely. That's the space where you need to be if you want to have the maximum growth opportunity. And it's also a great story because you are really making an impact with your investment. And there is a reason why even development banks like the ADB, for instance, see fintech lending and technology as one of the most important drivers for financial inclusion. Mm -hmm. Because if credit is moving to digital channels, then you can reach entirely underserved or entirely new borrower segments, which is really cool. But the fascinating thing is that the same question remains like for lending platforms over here in Europe, where do I get the refinancing from? So who gives me the firepower? So digital lending is growing really rapidly, but what's missing is a digital refinancing channel. And that's exactly what we're building with Exxonon. Ah, I see. So you're on a really big global mission. Um, what I would also like to talk about a little bit here is that you also do um, some digital asset rating uh, blockchain integration. There was just recently press release. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. So I was referring to the investment infrastructure that we have when you uh, when we empower investors to actually automatically source the right loans that they want to put in their portfolio. So what's really cool with our partners, Enlight, uh, who are a universal investment company, they have created a tokenization engine. They have created a digital asset platform mm -hmm. with which we can create a digital token in which we can book or on which we can source these loans that we, that we actually source from loan originators. So this is really a step to the next level. So this is joining digital assets with digital lending, as we call it. And this also revolutionizes the entire booking infrastructure and the, the investment vehicle that is actually used because we're no longer talking about traditional investment funds that can be then um, invested in by investors, but you can have a digital token. 
And what this does is it solves another headache for a lot of investors when you're investing or when you're allocating your money into some of the alternative investments and, and illiquid asset classes like real estate and credit and so on. Because you always have the problem of a lack of secondary market liquidity. And the great thing about distributed ledgers and blockchain technology is that it allows for a seamless transfer of value through the internet. So by booking all of these loans, by booking a loan portfolio, which as such is illiquid on a digital token, you have transferability of the token, which is great from an investment perspective, but it's also great, great value add for an investor's perspective, because you can really leverage the power of this vehicle and also capture attractive risk premia in the lending market. So we're really paving the way towards digital financial assets. Let me try to get this a little bit wrapped up. So basically what you're enabling is there's a loan from maybe Indonesia, maybe the Philippines, maybe also from Germany, France, Italy. And you can basically wrap this in uh, in a token and then it's a digital token you can transfer um, because it's unique, it's it's trackable. You can transfer it across this distributed ledger, assuming your technology, uh, which then can be transferred between institutional investors, meaning before that they had only loans on the balance sheet. It was heavy on them, so to say, in terms of required capital, but now they can easily trade them between each other, hopefully in a very standardized manner. Exactly, yeah. Ah, okay. Now I understand that. Oh, we we yeah, this is we really say this is next level stuff. I mean, <laughs> and to the best of our knowledge, nobody has ever done this before. So this is really a groundbreaking groundbreaking uh, innovation that we're that we're dealing here. That is really really cool. Um, we're geeking out here a little bit on the finance side. I, I, I really know that. Sorry, <laughs> really, that. sorry guys. Uh, everybody who would like to learn more ab about all of that, we'll link, of course, uh, your LinkedIn profile and the company website down here. And I'm sure people can directly reach out to you and ask you more questions. But let us go a little bit on to the um, other side, like your company. How are you guys currently funded? Because um, as, as we discussed before, purposefully on Crunchbase, there's nothing to find about you guys right yet, right? Yeah, exactly. For everybody who's <laughs> listening to this, he is smiling. There is a reason I'm smiling. Um, no, uh, you, it's exactly right that you don't find a lot of information on Crunchbase, uh, but I think that is okay. Um, so we started out as a bootstrap company and um, we also do have external money on board, so some business angels and uh, local VCs. And the reason I, I was smiling is that uh, we uh, actually just closed uh, another funding round and we're really excited about the potential and the growth opportunities these unlocks for us in order to ramp up the business, scale the business and add exciting new features. Mm -hmm. uh, when are you looking for new funding? Probably in 12 to 15 months. Mm -hmm. um are you guys currently hiring? Yes, yes, definitely. So we're always on the lookout for good developers, data scientists. But if you want to help us 
increase our outreach in exciting destinations like Southeast Asia or in Sub-Saharan Africa or in the US. Um, then we're also looking for motivated growth managers in order to connect with digital lending platforms and investors. Talking about this here, are you a digital company, meaning people can stay where they are or would they be required to relocate to Frankfurt? So relocation is more fun because we have uh, a really cool team. Uh, but uh, of course, uh, we also offer some flexibility to you know, partly work from home. Uh, I think this is a normal thing uh, from COVID. Um, we have made pretty good experiences. So one fun story is uh, I worked with a bunch of uh, team members. We worked fully remotely during lockdown out of Singapore because uh, our flights got canceled. So we ended up spending, you know, oh, having uh, half the company working out of Southeast Asia and uh, the other half being being in Frankfurt for about three months. Uh, so we have a fair bit of experience of also working fully remotely. Uh, so there are, you know, always solutions to be found. Mm -hmm. And am I right to assume that uh, the specifics of your average customer are pretty much off the chart or, uh, as compared to other companies we're talking to here? Because my understanding is you're addressing institutional investors that are either investing a small share of their investments in, as you said, alternative investments, for example, credits via those credit platforms, or they're very specialized investors. But I do assume if you just manage, uh, sorry, financial terms here, just manage a few million euros, uh, that's most likely not a tool for you. Yeah, so being a marketplace, we're really juggling two different types of customers. And as you rightly say, um, the uh, one part of the customer base is institutional investment managers, typically asset managers, so accounts that professionally manage money for others, who in turn have a lot of institutional clients like pension funds or insurance companies who are the end investors. And yeah, so we are uh, targeting especially institutional asset managers and in general also the ones that are uh, interested in adding uh, digital lending exposure or interested in adding a um, new product offering in the lending space or in the private debt space to their portfolio. Mm -hmm. Um, last question uh, for this part, what are your future plans? I understand taking over the world, enabling all the digital lending platforms with their refinancing and connecting on the other side of your platform, uh, institutional investors to it, best would be both across the globe, right? Yes, exactly. So our mission is to close the global financing gap, which is a staggering $5.2 trillion dollars. Um, which means that across the globe, there's more than 100 million SMEs that are underserved or that are lacking financing. And we really think that digital channels or fintech loan originators are in a prime position to tackle that segment. And we will not stop providing and connecting them with funding sources until that mission has been completed, until the funding gap has been closed. 
sounds really good and a really big numbers around. Um, since this interview is sponsored by Invest in Hessen, we do have a few more questions for you, especially why are you headquartered in Frankfurt? What do you like about it? Being from Frankfurt, it's obviously the best city in the world, one of the best. Um, no, Frankfurt is fantastic because logistically uh, you have uh, access to the whole world uh, through one of the biggest airports in Europe. Um, mm -hmm. A probably less well-known <clears throat> fact is that Frankfurt or Eschborn is actually the biggest internet knot in the world. Um, so you have a lot of um, a lot of great mixture of technology uh, as well as uh, you know financial players. So uh, a large part of Ultimately, our customer base and target customers is based in Frankfurt, and I love the proximity. Um, so it's always a good idea to be near your target customers. Mm -hmm. I see. Um, and last question for this interview, because we're running almost at 30 minutes recording time here. Um, if you have one concern, one question, one opportunity to address the decision makers of the state of Hessen here. What would you like them to do? Make it easier for fintech startups to connect with financial institutions. But I guess it's also a question of, you know, the readiness uh, of uh, established players to actually, you know, dip a toe into the water and really try to cooperate. Um, and if I'm talking directly or if I'm allowed to directly address also some of the decision makers, reduce some of the administrative burdens uh, for small companies um, because uh, yeah, reporting requirements are, uh, especially when you're applying for subsidies or for funding, can be um, very burdensome and can be very complex. So yeah, it would definitely also help if we could, if we could reduce some of that red tape. Great. Awesome. Great closing words. Uh, Dom Sprest for, uh, uh, for your role in closing the global financing gap. Thank you very much. I enjoyed the interview a lot. Thanks, Joe. It was my pleasure. That's all, folks. Find more news, streams, events, and interviews at www.startuprad.io. Remember, sharing is caring.